0: Well, I'm Chris White. I'm an elder here at Southwood. It's a treat to be with you all. I'm humbled to be with you all today. Uh, a little bit more um, about me and, and the series here. We're talking about being created to connect. So part of a series. And here's me and the family. A lot of you, I feel like I'm at home, right? looking at all these friends uh, at my home church, a home campus even. So uh, some of you may recognize the background there. This picture was taken at a school not too far from here called Texas A&M University. And then uh, and my wife and I met at a school named Texas A&M University. And my oldest daughter is a freshman at Texas A&M University. Uh, so uh, a little little maroon in the blood here. I even have a maroon shirt on, sort of. Um, my youngest also wanted to make sure I mentioned that she's here today. So I don't hear a whoop from her. Okay, I think I heard it. So uh, she's here. She's here. Okay. So we're talking about being created to connect at work. At work. And so that's really why I'm here. Uh, Being an elder here, being in the workplace, let's talk about how we can live our faith at work. Uh, I want to define a couple terms, though. One, when I say work, am I referring to you going to some standard-sized corporation um, in some big city or even locally? No, now that would certainly apply, but but we definitely need to broaden the term "work" here. If you if you are in school, if you're in college. You still have a workplace, right? I mean, your classrooms, even your dorm rooms, you could argue, that's kind of your workplace. If you're a stay-at-home parent, I would argue your living room is kind of your workplace. And so whether you're in a company, a school, at home, wherever you go. If you're in third grade and you're sitting here like, hey, does this have anything to do with me? Who's this guy? Um, You you could be thinking, okay, so I guess my my workplace is when I go to school. That's kind of what I'm doing and where I can uh, apply some of these insights. And, uh, and we do spend a lot of time in our workplace, if you think about it. I and mean, we spend more time there than we do sleeping, than we do even with our family. Uh, and so my workplace, I work for a company called The Flipping Group. And uh, I'm, I'm a, basically a leadership consultant there. And my background is a PhD in statistics. You know, and that's where people usually cringe like, wait, did Blake lose a bed? Is he in trouble Like, really? And so I do apologize for that PhD in statistics. I mean, listen, when you're young and stupid, you don't think about consequences. And I made the mistake of staying in school. And a few semesters later, wham, I have to live with that diploma every day of my life. Ah, man. So I apologize. I keep trying to lie on my bio and they keep putting it back on there. So uh, you know how people lie on their bios. Okay, so we're talking about the workplace. So I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to put you to the test. Try to try to guess the word that's missing here. You can tell it has four letters. So if you really want to live your faith in the workplace and share the gospel in the workplace and you know impact people, love people in the workplace, you need to blank a testimony. So get a word in your head. Don't cheat. This is church. So get a word in your head. And then once it's in your head, don't change it to something else. Everybody got one or at least most everybody. Okay, so I'm going to do a show of hands. Raise your hand if the last letter of your word is an E. Okay. Okay. Got a lot of people still in the game here. What if the third letter is a V? Okay. Still quite a few. Second letter is an I. Okay. I Lost a few of the halves of testimony. And then the last, the first letter is an L. How many said live? Okay. Let's show a, a clap for them. That's good. That's good. Um, they're uh, they're paying attention. They're engaged in the topic. So today we're talking about not just having a testimony, but really living a testimony in the workplace. And I'm going to share with you seven ways to do that. Uh, so first of all, we've got to believe we're all in ministry. And I know some of you like to look things up. So if you want to look it up, feel free. This is more topical. So we're not going to just totally scatter with uh, Bible verses. But uh, feel free to look them up or not, whatever. I'll have them on the screen. So I love what Paul says in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever you do... So whatever workplace you're in, whatever you do. So I'm making the argument here that we're all in ministry. But let me see. I'll I'll even kind of let you test this out. Here's how you can know for sure if you're in ministry. You can actually do this yourself. You can do it now. You can do it later. You can hold up two fingers. And then it doesn't matter which hand. And you can go like this. And if you feel that, then that means you're you're in ministry. You're in ministry. So is that everybody? Is that everybody okay? If you're not feeling anything there, tell me and we'll call somebody. So that means you're in ministry. You're in ministry. And uh, here's a cool way to think of it. Chris Merrill did this activity for a a grace class that I was in that really hit home. In fact, this may be the only thing you remember today because it was pretty cool. So here's what he did. He said, think of a place that you could go be a missionary. But he wants you to think of a specific geographic area. Maybe it's a country that you've always wanted to go to, one you went to, one that you heard they they had struggles. You wish you could serve there. All counts. Maybe you're not the type to go to some, you know, country. You'd rather just kind of maybe somewhere locally, maybe a different state, maybe up north where it's you know colder in the summers. I don't know, right? So so go ahead and get a, a city or country in your head, or state or whatever. So get that region in your head. So so uh, what if? Not only that state and that city or whatever's in your head, what if your Christian community, think about this. What if they came up to you today or uh, and they said to you, hey, we really feel like you're called to go to that exact place. You'd be like, what? Like I thought he was joking in the sermon and like, seriously? Or what if you got a postcard from that country on Monday and you're like, no way, this is crazy. Um, so, uh, so that could happen. But let me twist it a little bit. What if your Christian community did actually come to you? So this part isn't quite as hypothetical. What if they did come to you and say, we do think you're called to be a missionary, but but the place is going to be College Station, Texas? Isn't that an interesting thought? Like if we really thought of ourselves as being a missionary here, would we spend our time differently? Would we let some things roll off more easily at work? So So keep that in mind as kind of a foundational piece. And one final thought on this one is that ministry is more of a, I'm thinking of it more as a team sport. It's easy to think about a a topic or sermon like this and think of it as just all about what I need to do. But I want you thinking about it in whatever workplace you're in, thinking about kind of collective efforts as Christians to really make a bigger difference and kind of multiply those efforts. Okay, Uh, number two. This is my second favorite one. Um, Accept that work won't be perfect. Ooh. So your workplace is not going to be perfect. Jesus' little brother, James, says this. The first thing he says, basically, right after a quick greeting, chapter one, verse two, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you're gonna have trials, you're gonna have trials at work. And so Jesus' little brother is saying, hey, I've been through a lot. had a big brother that was really amazing and also kind of intimidating. I started the, the, the initial church in Jerusalem for a few decades. I've been through a lot. And the first thing I'm gonna tell you is, Consider it all joy when you face those trials, man. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Well, work can still be hard. So I've got some pictures of people that have a hard time at work. Maybe you can relate to a couple of these. How about this? That look. That look when you don't want to go to when you ugh, when you don't want to go to work. Anybody make that face? Okay. Yep. I see a hand here. Um, how about this one? Looking back at my house as I'm leaving for work, or school, or school. Okay. I see another hand here. I know. I know you. Um, Okay, and then lastly, what my boss expects from me. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? No, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Your, your boss may be in the room. My my bosses are in the room right now, literally. So, uh, But but does it feel that way sometimes? Our workplace either is just challenging or it's stressful or our bosses really do have high expectations. Oh, that's hard, that's hard. So what do we do about some of this? Well, first we have to fight the right enemy. And there's an enemy that I don't know that you're fighting hard enough. Or that I'm fighting hard enough. You know, this isn't some sermon like, oh, you poor people. Thank goodness. No, this is, I'm on the journey with you, of course, on all this. And I'll get talk more about that in point number seven. So who is the enemy? What is the enemy? The enemy in this case, I mean, not, this one's a little bit more of a practical enemy. I'm not talking about a, a spiritual enemy. Uh, the enemy is entitlement. Entitlement. And so think about this. If you go to, I went to the local Kroger. And I just decided to see, how could I see how entitled we are, how spoiled that we are as a society? So I went to the bread aisle. And I thought, how many different kinds of bread can you buy? I'm not talking about over there with the French baguettes and the rolls and all the other stuff in the organic section. I'm only talking about the one portion of an aisle that just has bread in a sleeve that's kind of clear with a little twisty at the end. Sliced bread, that's it. Guess how many different loaves of bread they have there. I'm not talking about multiples of the same loaf, right? I mean, if you're one of the... If Mike, if you're like the Nature's Own Honey Wheat, and there's 50 of those, I'm not counting all 50. I'm only counting one of those. One of those. So uh, how many different kinds of loaves of bread were there at Kroger? 101. I mean, that's just a lot of... I mean, really, it's bread. It's bread, right? But let me read to you some of the, the names of some of these bread. They had... They had multi-grain, seven grain, regular wheat, whole wheat, honey wheat, 100% whole wheat, double fiber wheat, butter wheat, butter split top wheat. And it just really, I mean, bread is bread. So we're a little bit spoiled. And so we do have to fight that enemy and we do have to manage those expectations. Here's a great definition of expectations. Uh, And it's not an all-encompassing definition, but it's one that definitely, I think, uh, gets our attention. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. Hmm. Like think about that. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. Now I'm kind of skeptical. So if you're a little skeptical in the audience, you're like, well, Chris, I don't think expectations are bad. I would say, of course not. I agree. It's not a, a full definition. It's just something to get you thinking. Do we at times set ourselves up for disappointment with expectations that are unduly high in the workplace in particular? And I think we do. I think we do. I was asking Brian Fisher about this and he said, I'm quoting him, if you like 50% of your job, that's not bad. I mean, how many of us could really operate that way, but we probably should more, right? Um, I was talking to a senior uh, here at a m that that was, it, 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 we a, there was some church function. I wasn't even like trying to make her say something I can use in the sermon. Her name's Brooke. Maybe she's here today. I don't know. And uh, she said to me, she's going to work in Dallas full time in the fall. And she said, uh, I don't expect to love my job. It's a place I'm going to serve. And I thought, that's a really healthy perspective, right? I mean, it doesn't mean you shouldn't like your job. We're not saying, hate it. Find the thing you hate the most and God will make you better. No, we're just saying, careful, careful. Uh, so, and, and even somebody in one of the other services talked about, you know, what, if you're, what if you thought of your workplace as dealing with people who are spiritually sick? And that's, that's your calling. That's your, you're a missionary there. Even the whole joy versus happiness thing is a tricky balance for a lot of us. You know, joy being more the deeper choice and happiness being more that fleeting emotion. And so think about that in your workplace, choosing to be passionate versus finding your passion. So think about the phrase, find your passion. Do I hate that phrase? No, I don't hate it. I'm pretty passionate about my job. I love what I do. Uh, But is it a dangerous phrase sometimes? I think it is. I think it is. I mean, what if they told David as a shepherd, hey, find your passion, find your passion. And he's like, I'm just trying to serve here. Like, I don't really have a career ladder. You're right, I mean, it's just, a. it's kind of a, it can seem a little bit self-absorbed if we're not careful. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it always is. But think about that. Are we really choosing to be passionate? Or are we waiting for this magical mix of the right boss and the right job? And then I'll be happy, careful careful so the last question there's really the big one and the big takeaway from point number two can we really reframe our boss or our workplace or that one colleague or that one task at work that you're just like uh, can we really reframe that is you kind of being in the mission field a little bit more and a chance to serve I don't know think about it that's not easy and again I'm on the journey with you I love number three focus on conversing not just converting Nothing wrong with converting, but we sometimes focus on that versus the, the conversing part. First Corinthians three six says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Hmm, okay. I mean, me being someone who's pretty analytical and pretty articulate when I'm trying to, you know, debate's a strong word, right? When I'm trying to kind of banter with somebody on something, I'm pretty good with my words. So I think this one may be, may, I need to really chew on this one because I don't think I do this terribly well. I think I do try to you know, not just win and make somebody feel stupid, but I, I don't know that I just really focus on the conversation itself and the relationship. So think about the last time you really listened. Isn't that a great question? When is the last time you really listened? That's all you were trying to do. No other agenda but listening. Man, I mean, you weren't distracted by your phone, by what you need to do, what, what time, oh Man. You weren't thinking about what you needed to say next or what story you wanted to, oh man. Uh, and so I want, I want us to be more fascinated, not just fascinating. Now, I love this next part here, the evangelism one. There's some good stuff here. So I'm gonna, this, this part is slightly interactive. I want you to think about the word evangelism and I want you to think of the first emotion or thought that comes to mind. Just the first word, just one word. So if, you, if you're still thinking, that's fine, but go ahead with your neighbor, tell them your word. It's 10 seconds, go. Okay. Okay. So let me tell you, let me tell you some of the words that came out when we did this activity. So, uh, here's some, not all of them, but here's some of the words that came out when we did this as a, a group and we had a little longer discussion, things like obligation, guilt, For not, you know, doing it more, doing it better, uh, turn off, at least to the other person a lot of the time, unqualified. How many of you feel like, I just don't know that, I don't know enough about, you know, other beliefs and even the Bible, I just don't, I, but I would and I just, uh, if you do, you're, you're really normal. In fact, if you don't feel totally qualified, don't say anything for a second. Okay, that's all of us, so you're in good company. Um, uh, sales pitch. You're talking to strangers, intimidating, and I love this word here. Uh, one of my mathematician friends, I think he might even be here today, he said binary. That's a good word. How many math, you got any math sat people here? Any other binary types? Okay, got a couple there. Thank you, thank you. Um, so it just seems so binary, right? They agreed or they didn't. They made a decision or they didn't. And again, nothing wrong with the decision. We're just saying we focus on that too much. And here's one little twist in the whole evangelism word. Okay, there's my, my, my math friend back there. Um, here's a here's a little twist in in the, the evangelism word. What if I told you there is actually a key trait you need to have if you want to really share your faith and be good at it and connect with people? I bet if I ask you, hey, write down your top two or three traits. I bet I mean maybe some of you would get it. I'm not saying I'm smarter than you. I'm just saying it's it's a word that uh, or a phrase, a trait we don't think about enough. So here's the trait. Here's the trait. Being flawed. Right? I mean, nobody wants to talk to you if you act like everything's perfect. Oh, yeah. You know, I believe in Jesus and I've never had a problem. What? Then where does it say that? There's a lot of the stories in this book about people that had challenges, but there was hope within those challenges. And so that's where I want us to focus a little bit more on. And it's okay to be flawed and not be perfect. Okay, um, and then the last two there for sure, right? We're, we're saying focus on the conversation, the relationship. We're not saying never ever bring anything up about faith or whatever else. Don't even ask. No, we're not saying that. We're just saying sometimes we try to start there and we uh, we, we don't we we go too fast or, or skip a step. So we still need to be ready to share the gospel, and certainly we need to be praying for ourselves and others along that journey. Okay, number four. I was torn on the title here. Be fun to disagree with. I almost wanted to say, "Be easy to disagree with." Again, you're think picture you talking about a faith topic with somebody. Are you easy to disagree with? Picture you talking about, you know, politics, religion, you know, whatever it is. Uh, are you easy to disagree with? Now that doesn't mean cave in. Hey, Chris, whatever they say, tell them they're right and you're wrong. Um, don't ever say no. It's not saying that. Um, Jesus, Jesus spoke with authority at times. And he also, you know, had a, an umbrella of love covering all of that that I don't always have. So uh, Proverbs says, the, uh, Proverbs 16, says, The wise in heart will be called understanding and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And so can I be a little easier to disagree with? Um, here's a, a pop quiz for you to see how easy you are to disagree with. I know, we, I was told, don't use the term quiz. Students don't like that. N- nobody walk out. It's not a real quiz. You're not gonna get a grade. Um, so here's your pop quiz. Are you easier to disagree or wrestle with, right? Can people wrestle with topics with you? Would, the, would they, um, even number two there, would an atheist or a Muslim or a spiritual struggler or an academic type even want to talk to you? Interesting question. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be grounded. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, you know at times even... Realize there's a cost, but would they even want to talk to you? Do we make that conversation comfortable or uncomfortable? I don't know. It's a good question. Number three, do you overpower, over talk? A lot of times we want to convince somebody of something. We just keep saying it or we just overpower them. Um, number four ties in with that. Are you a great question asker? Are you a great question asker? I think I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not great yet, but I'm getting there. My job in my job, I'm forced to ask a lot of questions. So here's even one great question I want you to ask more often. And I don't think many of you are asking this question. This is a very practical way to do this. This It's a two-word question. A two-word question. Think about somebody you're talking to. You're trying to get to know them. You're trying to understand their position on something. Here's a really, really good best practice. Two words. What else? What else? What else, right? I mean, think of the power of that question. Think of what it communicates to them. So, if you really want to um, engage in harder conversations, let's be easier to disagree with and let's ask great questions. Lastly, pretty self explanatory here do you state your opinions with grace and humility or not? Again, not sheepish, not I'm probably dead wrong on everything. You know, you don't have to think. In, no, we're not saying that, but just grace and humility. Okay, that's number four. Number five is a big one fight your fears, fight your fears. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Mm, Man, fears are a real thing. I have fears, trust me. Uh, I wonder where they come from, right? Well, I can actually tell you exactly where they come from. Where do your fears come from? Think of the fears you might have, the fear of disapproval, the fear of upsetting somebody, the fear of failure, uh, whatever it is, right? Um, They all come from one place, middle school, middle school, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's just all the damage is done in middle school. All the baggage we get from middle school—it's uh, it's just bad. All my kids, because I knew this, they all went—they all literally went from fifth grade to ninth grade. And they skip those years, and they don't have any fears. It's weird. Not kidding. Uh, obviously. So, uh, so you know, fears come from a lot of different places, um, and, and there aren't all fears aren't all bad. Right. We Even a topic like this, it's easy for me to even maybe unintentionally act like, well, they're all bad. No, we're not saying that. We didn't say remove all fears. We said fight your fears. Fight at least some of your fears. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about fears. But the the second bullet point there is really a big one about our self-critical tendencies. When I think about you engaging in conversations in the workplace, I wonder if our self-critical tendencies could get in the way. So think about this. How do you talk to yourself? How do you talk to yourself? I mean, maybe out loud, Oh, yeah, a hand up, that's good. Um, so maybe you say things like, oh, there I go again. Maybe when you mess up, you say, oh, I can't believe I did that, I'm so stupid. Maybe when you're trying to take a risk, you keep telling yourself, I don't want I don't know. No, no. Maybe, so if, if you are a little bit more self-critical, you are super normal. So here's a great question for you. Is being self-critical good or bad? I heard a yes. And the yes is correct. Yes is correct. It's both, right? I mean, did God make a mistake when he made you? More sensitive or humble or self-critical? Well, no. But can we take that and and spiral and overthink something? Well, of course we can. Of course we can. So I do want you to really think about the self-critical tendencies and how they play themselves out. And the self-talk in particular that you tell yourself. So who controls your self-talk? Who controls your self-talk? Well, we, we do. Yeah, we do. So, okay, this is good. This is good. So I don't need to beat up self-critical people. They're already beating themselves up. But can I help them see the pattern here? That if I'm too hard on myself, then it may impede me taking any risk. And a lot of that self-critical is stemming from myself. And if it's it's my own self-talk, then let me really, like it says at the bottom here, let me pray over that. Let me let go of that. Let me free myself from that lie and really bring that into the light. It also says at the bottom, practice practice and this is crazy, like the timing of this, there's also a class here called Awaken that like literally started right now. Like it started during this service. You could like go catch the tail end of it if you run out early, um, or you can just come next week, right? So there's a class about that very thing. So there are resources to help you with that. And even going on a Honduras mission trip this summer, um, ask about that too. They'll have little slides at the end, of the, at the end uh, and ask whoever, you know, my, my wife and daughter went on one of those and it really helped them hone kind of how they would share and how they would connect. So so if you still feel like it's a bit of a blur, we do have resources to help. Okay, um, summary on this one, I'm still scared. Well, you can do it, of course, with God's help. Okay, number uh, number six. I love number six. Meet their needs. Meet their needs. Uh, Matthew 25 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You met my needs. You didn't just try to tell me where I was wrong in some position. You didn't just try to you know, strong arm me into into whatever You met my needs first. And I don't always do that with people, right? So um, even think about this. I was talking to someone who's a waiter, and they said there's one shift every week they really don't want to get. Guess what shift that is? Sunday. Sunday after lunch, they say Christians are bad tippers. That's what he said. And I don't know if that's true. Maybe it is. I, I kind of hope not. I'm hoping it's more of a is, a, is a statistician, more of a sample size skewing that Sunday mornings, the bills are cheaper than like on an evening <clears throat> dinner. I don't know though. I, I, that makes me nervous if we're a bad tipper, right? If I ever see a tip thing, even if it's someplace where like the other day, I'm at that place on Barron Road, the breakfast taco place right there at Access Road, uh, you know, I got a couple of breakfast tacos to go. And it had a tip thing. I'm like, I'm gonna leave a tip. I didn't do anything. I'm not eating your chips. I'm not sitting down. But what do I do? I just put a dollar on it. I mean, really? Are any of us really overthinking that over a dollar? Uh, maybe so, right? I, I, trust me, I thought about it. But I just tell myself, hey, come on, really? So let's meet needs. Let's meet needs. There's actually a, a group of Christians I know who decided they wanted to really impact a local public school. So with that local school to the, to this group, they they were gonna do all kinds of cool stuff that year. And they did, they did. They brought food um, to the staff every month. How many of you is your love language free food? Okay, yep. So some of you, it's like affection, words. Most of you, it's free food. That's the number six on the list. Okay, anyway, so they brought food. They wrote notes of encouragement to people they don't even know, right? I mean, it's one thing to write it to somebody you know, which can still be hard. But to write it to people you, never, you don't even know. They, they, of course, prayed for them, things like that. And here's the crazy end of the story. That school was so touched by that group, uh, group's efforts, they put up a plaque in the public school to honor this church. Like, what? A plaque. And in that, that school is Bryan High School, right? So I don't know where the plaque is. You can go look for it. But that's pretty cool that a church body would go try to administer and meet needs first. Meet needs first. So I want you to think for a minute, who is somebody in your life who you really haven't stopped to think about, hey, let me meet a need first. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in the family that you try to have some conversations with or you're kind of worried about what they believe or don't believe. Um, Have you really even stopped to like truly just meet one of their needs? So think for a minute, who is the name of someone that comes to mind? Someone that you could just better start with meeting a need. You got it? Okay, 10 seconds, tell your neighbor the name. Tell your neighbor the name. Go. Okay. Okay, here we go. Last one, last one. And this is like my favorite one, Uh, not for the reasons you may think. (laughs) Handle conflict as if set apart. If you really wanna live your faith in the workplace and live a testimony in the workplace, why is it that we aren't the champions of handling conflict? We're not even the teams of handling conflict in our own marriages and in relationships with kids half the time, right? It's hard for me, and I do some of the stuff for a living, the conflict type stuff. I don't fight for a living, I just talk anyway. Um, so here's, here's a good verse for this one. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. I mean, we heard that verse so many times, easy for it to kind of just, oh yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Really look at the word peacemaker there. The word peace didn't mean happiness and contentment. It really was more of a rejoining, a rebinding of something that was broken or separated. Oh, oh. So it's not just blessed are the peaceful thinkers, blessed are the peaceful people. And and, and by the way, maker wasn't like a bread maker. You just go make it once and you're done. It was more of a journey. So you can almost kind of paraphrase this. Blessed are the, the reconciliation pursuers. And so are you a reconciliation pursuer in your conflict? Do you have, have you had conflict with a parent? With a sibling? With somebody that you really didn't help lead that? You, and, and you probably do need to go first to help with some of that. And we're gonna have some little tips here in a second. I don't know. I don't know. This is the one that really hits home with me. So number one there is to look in the mirror. And this is the one I wanna start with in terms of my own journey. I have been horrible at that. As a kid, did I handle conflict well? No. is a high school student. No. College student. No. Uh, when I was dating. No. Oh, no. I mean, they would, somebody I was dating do one thing wrong and like just you're dead to me. You violated my formula or whatever. I mean, just like, what? I mean, just that's so dysfunctional. And I was terrible at handling conflict. And, and, and even here, I still, I still have that stubborn streak where I just don't want to, even if with one of the kids, if I have a conflict, I don't want to go first. I well, you started it. You know, I don't say that out loud, I just think it. Because they should go first. Like they were more to blame, right? Is that how it works? Is that how it works? Is that how that narrow road works? Oh, whoever's more to blame, wait for them. Is that what it says? I don't think that's what it says. So we need to look in the mirror and look at that plank in your own eye before you start trying to look at the speck in somebody else's. Number two, there says, check your expectations. We talked about expectations earlier. But I love what, what James says here. Again, Jesus' little brother says, he says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes conflict among you? He asked a question and then you know what he says next, right? You want things and don't get them. Oh, oh, so my expectations are high and people disappoint me. Oh, wow. In fact, that's, uh, so I'll keep going. Uh, number three is celebrate differences. Here's what I found in my, my years of leadership consulting. We don't handle personality differences well. And that impedes our ability to live a testimony and really handle conflict well. Some of you in this room are very detailed and organized and tidy. Raise your hand if you're like that. Okay, good. That, I mean, I, thank you. Um, raise your hand if you're more free-flowing and like, yo. you people are OCD. And let's just, it's, I, I know where my stuff is. I can, I, I know it's in piles, but I can find it. Okay, so I uh, see a big hand here. So which one of those is better? Well, no, the answer is yes. Some of you are really sensitive and you live with someone who's not that sensitive. How do you celebrate that difference? Uh, some of you are uh, really spontaneous and some of you are more, hey, I like to plan out my spontaneity. Can we plan that out for Friday at noon? I mean, come on, like I thought we were gonna go eat at the same place we've been in for 13 years. It's just one more year is all I'm asking, right? So can we get, we don't handle those differences. Some of you are really verbally affirming and and, and you're, you're living with somebody or married to somebody or whatever, right? That, a roommate that, that's not that way and it really throws you off. And I'm over here saying, I don't think we see those differences clearly. We get irate or maybe irritated or maybe kind of tolerate or maybe cooperate, but we really should try to celebrate that difference more. Not to say they're better, not to say you're totally off the hook, I won't even ask you to change, but to see them the way God sees them. Number four, uh, go first to own your part. We talked about that some already, pretty self-explanatory there. Um, Even if your part is smaller. In fact, if, if your part is smaller, you're probably the one who should go first If the other person's that dysfunctional, you expect, (laughs) then, really? Who's crazy now, right? No way. No way. And then lastly there, have healthy after conflict conversations. Whenever we, here's how it works. We have conflict. Um, you know, young marrieds have conflict. Um, it happens. It happens. So what happens is they need to kind of vent a little bit. Like, you just, I can't believe what has just happened there. And, and, and that's very normal. But the question is not, do you ever have to vent at all? The question is, do you do it in a healthy way? And there's two verses here, both about fire, both about fire. The Proverbs one talks about, um, without wood, a fire goes out without gossip, a quarrel dies down. It also says in James there, the tongue is also a fire and a world of evil among the parts of the body. So with those after-conflict conversations, can we stir things up and gossip and triangulate and just make things worse? Absolutely. So when I have uh, some, any type of after-conflict conversation, it needs to be a much healthier, hey, what can I learn? What am I missing here? What? What? Tell me what biases I'm bringing in a hunger to really get better and see what it's exposing in me, not just need to vent and try to get somebody on your side. Okay, now you're, I'm gonna put you to the test. So here's how this is gonna work. You're gonna pick one that you feel like you could apply a little bit more. One of them that's kind of jumping out at you. One that you felt like, ooh, that one kind of hit home. And you're gonna share it with your neighbor before you do. We certainly wanna make sure now that we don't leave somebody out. Like if I've got like a married couple and a married couple, then there's like one college student in the the middle just like, you know, awkward. Uh, Don't do that, right? I mean, look around. But I don't wanna see a group of four or five that's just too much, right? if you have a kid in your lab, don't count them. Count them as half a person. I don't know, right? Just anyway, uh, so groups of two or three-ish um, but here's how it's going to work you're going to turn to them with your thumb up or down so as you turn to, to who you're going to talk to thumb up means I love glitter thumb down means I hate glitter so just a quick kind of check on hey we got glitter compatibility or not and then quickly transition to the second question so everybody got it? okay go Hand, thumbs up or down go <laughs> finish your thought finish your thought Okay, so let's get a quick show of hands. Who are my glitter haters? Who are the haters? Okay, we got a lot of haters today. Um, did we have anybody that's like, you know, dating or married to somebody who had a different answer on the glitter? Who, anybody who's opposites? Okay, so we just started conflict in their marriage. I, I apologize for that. I apologize for that. So uh, yeah, I, I won't say what the right answer is on the glitter, but I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so as we as we finish up today, so first of all, I want you to share your your takeaway or whatever you know, with people, right? Have conversations about this and really allow the body to come together and people to sharpen you and to encourage you too, not just to tell you what you're not doing, but encourage you. But, but I love the kind of what if um, statement there. What if? What if we could really better be that Christian army in the workplace? What if we could really com- combine efforts and really make a bigger difference as we live a testimony? What if... What if you could reframe that boss or colleague or client or vendor as someone who you are in their life is maybe their only chance to see the gospel in action? What if we could really reframe our workplace as mission ground and sacred ground? What if? Let's pray. Uh, God help us to live a testimony this week. Uh, Help us to live a testimony every day. God thank you for so much truth in your word that does convict um, and challenge but also gives us hope and practical tips to better uh, share the gospel and live a testimony. In Jesus name. Amen. Awesome. Have a great week.